Well, welcome everybody to Happy Times and Places, a positively inclined Doctor Who episode commentary podcast in which I, Toby Haydock, watch an episode and commentate along whilst trying to guess my special guest's favourite things about the instalment in question. Hello, Toby. You join me in the fertile, featureless Fenland of Cambridge. Um, thank you for inviting me to take part in this um, excellent series. Um, I'm a massive Doctor Who fan, um, and I could wax lyrical about the virtues of Tom Baker and Matt Smith. But today I'm choosing a slightly more complex topic, shall we say, um, something which is an episode, a story which is not always regarded as highly as I think it should be. I want to talk about Attack of the Cybermen. Um, this is the story that rekindled my love of Doctor Who. Um, I was a massive fan of Tom Baker. I wept like a bereaved child when um, he regenerated at the end of Logopolis. And then I kind of dipped in and out of the Peter Davison era. Um, I didn't watch the Peter Davison Colin Baker regeneration. I didn't watch Twin Dilemma, but I turned on in, I think it was the January of 1985, and I watched Attack of the Cybermen and I was hooked. And then I loved the whole of Colin Baker's first full season. Um, one of the reasons that I tuned in and decided um, to pay full attention to this new Doctor was my father, um, Roger Bunce, um, sometimes a special feature on Doctor Who DVDs. Um, my dad was working on Time Lash, he was also working on um, Revelation of the Daleks, and he told me that he was really enjoying them and he was really enjoying Colin Baker um, as the new Doctor, and he got me Colin Baker's autograph, I've got it up in my loft I think. I would have pulled it down, but you know, life is short and loft ladders are long. So there it is. My reasons are very personal. Um, I hope you will enjoy watching Attack of the Cybermen and I'll see you after episode one where I will be selecting two of my favourite aspects of the show to talk about, um, hopefully at not too much length. Enjoy the show. Well, welcome everybody. The voice you just heard there introducing Attack of the Cybermen was Robin Bunce, who is, among many things, a, a very smart uh, and gifted academic a resident in Cambridge, doing all sorts of, uh, you know, invoking all sorts of uh, popular culture of the kind we love uh, in his academic studies. Uh, and in fact, uh, his, his father, Roger Bunce, sent me a, um, a treatise Robin had written about, or mentioned to me about um, uh, evil of the Daleks back in the day. Roger was very proud uh, of uh, of Robin tying in Roger's academia with his love for a program that Roger himself worked on. Roger was a BBC cameraman uh, who worked on stories uh, right back in the day uh, and was an enthusiast. He did indeed appear on DVD extras, uh, including on the commentary for The Web of Fear, a story which when it was returned and was showed at a, at a London cinema, uh, you know, there were invited guests, Deborah Watling, Ralph Watson, Fraser Hines. I was delighted as I went, I was, I was chairing the, uh, the uh, Q&A and saw Roger queuing up uh, like a customer, which he was. So I was delighted to be able to go, we're going to throw some questions out now to somebody in the audience because Roger Bunce was the, was the cameraman and he worked with most of the classic doctors. Uh, he did a Who's Round for Me, which was a two-parter. Uh, lovely man, Roger, who who died relatively recently and is one of those people, you know, people, you, you know people will die and you know people who are older than you will die. But Roger was such a f sort of cheerful, 
ebullient sort of character and always answered an email, always signed off, cheers, uh, love Rog, um, uh, love LUV, um, and was so uh, sort of keen about preserving the legacy of the BBC, furious about the sale of TV Centre. But also, you know, I imagined him d- drinking real ale and do it, you know, being outside with a with a sort of short-sleeved body warmer and, and having a penknife in his pocket. I don't know if he had any of those things. That's how I imagine him. Um, a, a real enthusiast, uh, a lovely chap, always very helpful and just always there. So uh, and we knew he was ill when we did when we did the the Web of Fear commentary, um, but he seemed to be... Uh, anyway, look, it doesn't matter, but um, I, I do miss Roger, so I'm, I'm you know, I, I can imagine how, how bereft the Bunce family have been feeling these past um, 18 months or so. So very kind of Robin, um, who I've actually... Um, you know, I don't, I don't really know. I've had more of a relationship, you know, via emails than anything else. But that is the way of things these days. But I know that he will bring um, an intellect and an intelligence to his appreciation of uh, Attack of the Cybermen, a fantastic uh, uh, perspective uh, from somebody. Um, that as he said, interestingly, you know, he, he loves Matt Smith and Tom Baker, but he wants to, he wants to fly the flag for Attack of the Cybermen. So let's go back. Doctor Who is riding high. We've just had the twentieth anniversary season hot on the heels. Uh, you know, we, well, you know, the the twenty first season hot on the heels of the of the twentieth anniversary special when, you know, Longleach House had queues and queues and oversold, and you know there was a twentieth anniversary special, then a follow up season uh, where we had the greatest, what has been voted the greatest story of all time many times, the Caves of Androzani. Peter Davison going out on a high, handing over the reins to an exciting new Doctor, uh, and you know they'd had the experiment with the resurrection of the Daleks, which was uh, edited together into two longer episodes, and had that made it have a sort of epic kind of feel. I remember when that was on so that's what they decided to do with this season oh amazing so i mean doctor who was riding high at this point uh, and uh, by the end of the year it was a very different story what an interesting time to be alive and this is very much in my memories and experiences of being a young doctor who fan so let us see uh what uh is in store for us as we uh oh god tomb of the cybermen didn't exist at this point so a very exciting return to the planet telos uh with the cybermen who've uh you know made such an impact when they returned with Earthshock. so let's see uh as we go to press play on attack of the cybermen in three two one and i've pressed play there we go What's going to happen now? Doctor Who is going to start after a hiatus. Uh, oh, and it's starting very... I might keep this in. No, I can't. And I am going to start in three, two, one. So how exciting is this? I so full disclosure, I was as a as a 
kid, I was not a massive fan of Peter Davison, largely because he was not Tom Baker. I adore Peter Davison now. He's probably in my top three doctors. Um, but I, I, was a, I, was, I was very excited and delighted by Colin Baker, whom I had enjoyed in Ark of Infinity. He'd, he'd managed to make his, his role in that of guard captain um, one of the most memorable parts. Capital letters uh, for the... Uh, for the opening title captions, which is very interesting. Um, Watch when I say interesting, I'm being anything but. So what I love about Doctor Who is even in the two obvious cannon fodder characters, uh, we have, well, we've got some very Eric Saywood uh, dialogue. What is it? More bulges than an antenatal clinic. It's him trying to add a a bit of uh, adultness to Doctor Who. But here is Stephen Churchett, who died very recently. I was furious I was unable to get him an obituary in The Guardian. He was not only a character actor well-known to modern viewers, because he is Marcus Christie, uh, the in-and-out solicitor of Dirty Den Watts, um, who had a long in-and-out history with EastEnders and a memorable character who'd uh, generated some column inches uh, uh, when he returned relatively recently. But also, as a writer, had a play at the West End, Tom and, Tom and Viv, um, uh, and also, um, which did really well at the West End, it had Michael Gambon in it, but also then went on to write numerous episodes of the likes of Inspector Morse, including remorseful day the last one so you would think he had done enough to earn his place uh to 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 be given 700 words by me but uh sadly did not i believe anthony hayward did one for the telegraph so at least he got somebody um competent giving him his dues anthony is a is a fine obituarist um but uh steve so stephen was very high on my list of people to do from who's round even though that's the end of him Uh, although we do see him uh actually being cybernized a bit later but that's that's pretty much his contribution to Doctor Who but I love the fact that people like that even as I say the cannon fodder the people that are there if you're a seasoned Doctor Who fan you know are gonna find something suspicious and die horribly and you need actors to play those roles and hopefully it's good ones and I love it when it's ones with a story to tell and I was always delighted to see oh that guy who gets killed at the beginning of Attack of the Sidemen has you know become an acclaimed and esteemed writer of high-end stuff that you know has been seen and consumed by everybody Um, and so sad and I think slightly cruel that although of course it makes no difference once you're dead whether you get an obituary in the newspapers or not but it's the sort of thing that I think is important I like people to be given their due which is why my life's work seems to have been to be pointing out what you might have seen somebody in elsewhere so that you could at least acknowledge their life outside of their uh, brief sabbatical in uh, Doctor Who's bill uh, it's it's an odd little it's an odd peccadillo but one that I uh, uh, the, 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 but one that I for some reason it's my kink baby don't kink shame me uh so here we have colin baker who is the first doctor i ever met uh and he does all he's he's a very theatrical doctor but actually this this sort of television is is slightly theatrical in style you know the the performances that you give with this with this sort of um, way of making television very different to what you give now and i love i actually did a short film recently where i was I was playing I was playing an 80s TV hero called Inspector Wen so my casting was um 
you know, a bit of a joke. And I actually did the little um, touch on the nose thing that that he does with uh, that 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 he does with Perry. Uh, he, the, his doctor is certainly. I mean, the the costume. I never minded the costume. You know, I do look at it now and go, I I, I can see why it's one of those choices that does that 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 when somebody is dressed like that in in front of you know 1980s scenery it does looks it does look slightly sort of artificial and draws attention to itself as as a piece of art, artifice and try hard fantasy but i i actually never minded it that much as a kid and i like the idea of the sort of doctor being tasteless but what i do like about this adventure and i certainly think the bits that hit me as a as a kid i was desperate for doctor who to be grown up um that's the thing about you know a, a program that is associated with uh, children is that you know as a, as a you know you never wanted to be Luke Skywalker you wanted to be Han Solo because he was the older cooler one and I, I like this I loved uh, T- Terry Terry Malloy's putting his finger in his ear acting there because that's the sort of thing people do in things like the Sweeney and not in Doctor Who so seeing it in Doctor Who everything is is tonally here rather reminiscent of the programs that grown-ups watch i was allowed to watch grown-up programs my mother um have we and i have always had a, something of a tricky relationship but I, I i have to say she was always very open to uh, us being capable of digesting forms of entertainment meant for older people she you know she trusted our in our intelligence and and, and never hid anything from us. I remember a friend of ours being shocked to come round when The Young Ones was on and I was watching it. Uh, but I, but I, So I always felt that if something reminded me of the grown-up programmes, and this does, the film stock, lest we forget, it's not long after this that, that Doctor Who goes on to being shot on videotape outside. I really like film. This, you know, if you took this scene now with... with uh, Terry Malloy being sort of furtive and undercover on the phone and talking about kilos of plastic. Uh, that that all feels like it's from a, a grown-up show about organised crime and terrorism and, you know, the, 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 and, and because it's reminiscent of Matthew Robinson's last production, Matthew Robinson, the director of this, where, you know, you have policemen with the, the guns with silencers on mowing people down in the street. That all felt like the sort of stuff I wanted from my Doctor Who, I wanted it to be more real and less fantastical. Now, as I'm a, a little bit older, and, and I, you know, you can see this series in context of where, you know, what they did with Earthshock, which was the most amazing thing to behold as a kid, the Cybermen as a surprise, the death of Adric, um, uh, and then Eric Saywood realised, oh, okay, this people like this stuff, and then you have a similar thing with Resurrection of the Daleks, where again you got you got a director who was really sympathetic to it and and did the did the grittier elements of it very very well. Uh, you can see why Eric, in Eric Saywood's mind, well, why don't that's the tone we should have? But of course, the reason Earthshot works really well is because it's a it's a bit of a shock um, and it stands out. Whereas this season, tonally, it it it, it does really enjoy its its grimness and its violence and 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 misses the fantastical and where the fantastical is of course is it's it's Colin Baker's costume which which is a slightly uneasy uh, uh, uneasy fit and it's not a dissonance that is necessarily helpful but I'm intellectualizing I have to say I love all of this um 
it's a very 80s suit that Maurice Colborne's got on, isn't it? But I love these actors. Uh, James Beckett, who plays um, Payne, uh, is one of those actors that you go, oh, I've seen him in everything. And then you look him up and go, oh, I've never seen any of those things. And he's got one of those faces that makes you think you know him when actually he, he wasn't in an awful lot. And he was also one of those actors that we could never find. But uh, some friends of mine recently had cause to chat to Matthew Robinson, who I've never met. And they said, you know what ever became of James Beckett? He said, oh, yeah, I'm still in touch with him. I talk to him all the time. Uh, he actually mentioned he might quite like doing a Doctor Who event. And it, so he's been sort of hiding in plain sight, totally unaware that for, because there are a few of us who I've mentioned, myself, Ben Jolly, Stephen Griffiths, um, uh, the Phantom Films lads, uh, Paul and Dexter, who are very keen on tracking down and talking to, and Richard Bignall too, on tracking down and talking to some of those actors that we've never quite traced. And they're not all, although two of them are from the first Dalek story, um, they're not all from the early years. Actually, they, they come up to be quite recent, um, uh, like the Lucosa. Um, but but James Beckett was one of those mysterious ones who we, we never knew, but there he was. He was hanging around all the time. Uh, as I speak, I don't think he has yet done that event, but uh, I think moves are being made to contact him, and, and he's he's perfectly cast. And he's, even his name, James Beckett, it's like, oh, well, that's a bit like James Beck from Dad's Army, but it's not. But they're similar sort of types as well. So it seemed he was a, he's a sort of conglomeration of all sorts of things that are familiar, and yet they're all wrong. You don't actually know him, and he, he wasn't in that thing. Lose the motor. I love all that. I love the way that this is shot. This is shot very authentically on film with the way that these guys are costumed. Uh, I, I like Terry Malloy in this. I, and I do like the murderous silent policemen. Uh, I think they're glorious at the moment. We will go on to discuss them later. But they were a particularly scary thing of, of resurrection of the Daleks. And I... Uh, I, I know that I, I always get this. I have this theory that Eric Saywood kind of deliberately pushes his luck. So, you know, he knew the history of Doctor Who. He knew that that Barry Letts had got in trouble for having Auton policemen. He knew that Philip Hinchcliffe had cut out um, Noah begging to be killed in, in Ark in Space. And so in, you know, in, in Resurrection and then in this, he has killer police people. Uh, it, in, in Revelation of the Daleks, he has a character beg his daughter to kill him. You know, it's it's almost like he's going, should we, should we see if we can do the things they didn't used to be allowed to do? And I, I you know, I admire the pushing of the envelope. But equally, what seemed very gritty to me as a, how old was I, 11-year-old? And I, you know, I love a submachine gun and all of that. And I, and I but I also love... Um, uh, I love Brian Glover's... We will talk a lot about Glover. That thing, that's obscene. I love... I love. Uh, I believe that that, and 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 this this kind of slightly adult, just that sort of adult window dressing. I'm with you, Mr. Litton. I I I love the banter between these guys. I think it works. Eric Sayward's dialogue doesn't always work, and 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 better. Uh, people than I have, have have sort of pointed out where you know he, where his characters say things like they must think us fools instead of you must think I'm an idiot or whatever. Um, but I, I actually think he does this sort of macho bantery stuff quite well. And I know that in and of itself is is slightly awkward to to watch this the sort of celebration of especially when so much drama of these days was, you know, um, middle aged men arguing in a room. Uh, it, it, uh, you know, and, and, and lots of other 
lots of other sorts of people and characters not being represented. I can, you know, I, I understand all of that. But I, li- I like that that thing about I used to I used to use one of these when I did the council. This is this uh, this time it's for, for for swinging, not for leaning on. That's a nice line. It always reminds me of my friend Alfie Joey, who is a lovely comedian, a presenter on radio on BBC Newcastle, and a, one of the friendliest and nicest guys that I've never seen lose his temper, except he gets infuriated with lazy council workers. Uh, that he's, I don't know what happened, maybe he was kidnapped by some as a child. But I remember driving past some roadworks and they were probably just discussing what they were going to do next, but you couldn't believe how many of them were there, and I just remember him out the window going do some work! And he's honestly the nicest man on the planet, but that was his hill, that was his kink was to, to yell at people he thought were were lazing on the council buck so that line always reminds me of Alfie um oh yes oh my goodness me this is talk about uh, Eric Saywood thinking of you know pushing pushing buttons in terms of you know trying things that that, that haven't been done or haven't been got away with this tease that oh we're gonna lose the police box I remember being so angry with that idea. And I, d- I, I don't know if when, when your production team has an eye on courting the fans, whether having an eye on pissing them off is a, is a wise move. But uh, uh, now, obviously, I'm in the... These boots don't fit me. I love Brian Glover. <laughs> um, you know, you court the fans and then, then infuriate them. Actually, you know, fans and I probably deserve to be infuriated resistant to change and, and always looking over my shoulder for for something to be cross about uh, which which in life and in doctor who is a is a is a lesson i still often haven't learnt at times and I, I i wish i would and when i see other people do i go oh come on loosen up enjoy it and and yet this physician sometimes needs to uh, write himself a prescription uh, of that kind um but I'd have loved that, you know. Oh, they've mentioned Tegan and Zoe and Susan and Jamie. Oh, this is exciting. And Because and, any connection to the past, because the past was uh, not only another country, it was where you'd definitely want to spend your holidays. Uh, whereas, of course, this is in the past now. Um, and, you know, you can look at, we can look at it from a slightly more detached and from a, from a distance. Um, where... I I understand oh the terrible Zodin as well. Um, I, I I do understand the people that find Saywood's approach questionable, and and uh, and yet I can still sort of see them as a kind of guilty pleasure, particularly the sort of violence and the scares. I that was the sort of stuff I really wanted in Doctor Who at that time, partially because I got the sense that my school pals. You know, certainly there was that thing of people favouring the A-team. And the A-team people seemed to like because it had explosions and violence. So if Doctor Who was violent, it was like a riposte that. It was like, look, this is grown Because I equated violence with grown up. Whereas, of course, some of the most effective moments are things that are done by suggestion or things that you don't see. Um, I, I, There is always a feeling that... or. Maybe it's just a feeling I'm having now that Colin Baker and Nicola Bryant spend an awful lot of time in this season walking towards the story. So I know they're they're trying to trace that signal or whatever, but but um, they're not getting an awful lot to do except to sort of bicker at each other. And then in Vengeance on Varos, they've got that stuff where they where they run out of fuel and sit and argue. Revelation of the Daleks takes it to a perverse extent where they don't get to the story till the end of episode one, uh, and it does feel like. Saywood is more interested in in his guest characters, but I, I, I mean, I 
I think part of the appeal is doc, of Doctor Who is that you get to meet a whole load of new people uh, in each new story, and you get embroiled in their fates. And part of it is a, you know, is a guessing game of who you're going to root for, who's going to survive, you know. Um, and, the, and, the, and the, the Doctor and the Companion are often conduits to other people's stories. Um, and, and and I sometimes feel I, I'm I'm oddly sometimes less interested in the regulars because I sort of take them for granted, and I'm not quite sure I've. Um, I'm not I'm not sure I've come to terms with how I feel about that. <laughs> Um, and I'm I'm also not sure I f how I feel about some of the sort of slightly forced comedy. I think I think Colin Baker is a is a perky enough performer that some of this sort of contrived comedic stuff is 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 is, is not necessarily as much fun as as those involved think it is. I don't know, um, but he's always. I, I, I think Colin Baker's great at this, uh, um, you know, mind racing uh, stuff going on while something's going wrong, and he, I, I, th I, th I, th I think he exudes a sort of keen and rather pet testy intelligence, um, and he's got, he's got a forcefulness and a presence that sort of overcomes the costume, but. And he's too much of a gent. I know he's he's sort of said, oh, I, I would quite like something more austere. But I, I wonder how, you know, I wonder how, I think our our image of, of his doctor in his era would, would be would be very, very different if, if he wasn't in that costume. Uh, sliding doors and all of that. But, uh, um, oh, and is that supposed to be the IM Foreman scrapyard as well, isn't it? I'm totally... Uh, well, at least they spelt Foreman right. Um, uh, but yes, it was getting to the point where, you know, there's a lot of, yeah, let's give the fans what they want. But unless you get it absolutely bang on, those very people that you think you're serving are going to be furious. And I remember that there was a lot of that going on on the time where, uh, you know, they were giving you something, but they weren't. Yeah, there was there was some sort of compromise you know we brought back the silurians but we don't know what their third eye does you know or whatever we've we've brought that the brigadier but we've got the dates wrong and and and, and then you kind of go well what was it therefore worth doing and i you know i as i say i i loved anything that was a reference to the past even though i hadn't seen the past um and and i was i think i was i think that was false nutrition um so this is a pretty grim death for poor old uh, uh, Payne. So he's gone, James Beckett, but hopefully appearing at an event near you soon. Uh, and it's I, and I do like those. I do like those characters. Oh, and then, and it's an organ, and they do a joke, don't they? Um, <laughs> it's quite fun, actually. The uh, the TARDIS changing shape, um, and and I'm pretty certain Colin worked out this bit of business. Uh, I think he told me that when I. He was the first doctor I met. I'm sure I've told this story. So just keep it brief. If if your first doctor you get to meet is Colin Baker, in fact, the first famous person uh, you, you as a as a as an impressionable and nervous youngster get to meet is Colin Baker, then I think you're very very lucky because I was, and it was a, a an experience that was 
better than I could have imagined, and that was down to the generosity, decency, and conduct of Colin Baker, who is a wonderful ambassador to Doctor Who, then as now. Um, and, and this is where we get, yeah, it's it's the sort of waywardness of tone, I guess, that's that's the interesting thing about interesting alert about about this this period in the show because I, I love these silent policemen. I think they're really spooky. They're a really good presence in uh, uh, Resurrection. And here we've got a comedy moment where he raises his hands and lowers his hands. A comedy, whacking great, inverted commas, moment where the Doctor puts the hat on. And as you say, Perry, the joke is that per Perry could have shot him in the face. Um, just You just think, oh, I think somebody needs another eye on this, just ironing out that sort of stuff because it's it's tonally it's a dissonance that as i say is isn't helpful with the drama it's it's it, it, it it's it's slightly odd um but but and and and, and i think they're slightly undermined these these two coppers of Lytton who who you know they they, they come back at the beginning uh, and you think oh great they're going to be like they are in resurrection of the daleks where they do that horrible bit where they chase uh, Tegan and then shoot the man with the metal detector on the edge of the River Thames and they're, they're grim and silent and stalky and now that's them sort of dispensed with and I, I remember feeling that was a that was a bit of a shame um, I, I think this stuff now is very good but I remember being furious at the time because I'm from a time when the Target books had on the back you know the Cybermen they have the strength of 10 men or whatever and they are indestructible and, and the idea was that Cybermen how thick is it less than you it's he's it is, is almost like Eric Saywood has um, has sort of tried to clone Chris Boucher but he's but he's but uh, but his uh, his his yeah the the photocopier he's used to photocopy Chris Boucher hasn't hasn't quite got enough toner in it, um, but I I I do like this scene and I I think the setting of the sewers is nice and atmospheric. But again, how many sort of continuity things are being piled on and piled on? Uh, and let's not even get to the mystery of who wrote it. Um, and I did suggest to looking for Paula Moore, although my my belief is that. The, the lady in question was never going to give an interview because it would have uh, it would have compromised the royalties that she was getting because they actually did a very naughty thing here by uh, by ascribing it to a writer who had nothing to do with it in order that the script editor get to write the scripts that is slightly you know not done there's a reason that there are rules with the writers guild in the bbc and it's to protect the interests of its members who are freelance writers um but you don't need a lecture on that but um I do love the, the the black camouflage Cyberman too. I think that's a terrific idea. But um, uh, Paula, this hasn't been reported actually. But Paula Paula Moore is is dead. Um, she died a, a, a few years ago, two, two or three years ago. Um, but I only found out um, way too late to do any sort of piece about it or announcement or anything like that. But uh, yes, I'm afraid Paula Moore is no, or Paula Woolsey is no longer with us. So uh, we will never. Uh, we will never hear from from her about exactly what went on from from her end. Were she ever allowed to s or prepared to say so? Uh, I I love this. I think I think it's just that simple conceit of going. Well, let's let's have a Cyberman that's black. Uh, and I love the fact that 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 Griffiths hasn't listened and he's sequestered a gun. I was furious 
with the fact that the Cyberman uh, was damaged by bullets. Bullets can't stop Cybermen. Cybermen, uh, that, 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 this, that to me was as a, as a kid who was very keen to be furious about stuff. It's what gave me an identity. Um, you know, uh, you know, you're nobody if you've got nothing to be righteously angry about. And I, and, and I, I loved being furious about Doctor Who. I didn't. I hated it. But it, as I say, it made me feel as if I had some drive, as if I had, as if I was alive. There's nothing like having a, a, a resentment to, uh, to, to, to be able to give voice to, to enunciate all those complicated feelings that are coursing through your veins as you're a youngster. Uh, and uh, and and the things that I thought Doctor Who was doing wrong, uh, much as I still tuned in every week and poured over the research, blah blah blah, blah but it was a, it was a, an enunciation of more complicated things going on inside. Uh, I love that scene now. I think it's really nicely directed. I still think if you're going to bring back the Doctor's enemies, the ones who are famously impervious to bullets, don't have them pervious to bullets. Even though a bit of spraying green goo is always fun. But I love that music. I love the throbbing, heartbeaty music that Malcolm Clark does. Although I think elsewhere in this story, the score is very uh, almost parodic. And again, it's a, it's a sort of dissonance in tone where almost people are going, oh, because we can have a bit of fun with it, we should. Um, but I think I think the different levels on this set are great. I think the Cybermen in the Shadows are great. I think the Black Cyberman is a terrific idea. I'm sad to see the policemen are now being cybernized, especially as also so that we know that they're the same people. They've still got their policemen's. Has he still even got... I didn't look properly. So I think they've still got his policeman's helmet on. I think when you're undergoing cyber conversion, they'll probably take your hat off. Um, but uh, Steve, Stephen Churchett is there as well. He said he'd got he got terrible spots that day, or terrible cold sore, or something. Uh, so he he wasn't he wasn't over the moon to to be doing it because essentially it's sort of supporting artiste work, isn't it? Um, Rifton Five, I like that. Um, uh, uh, but I but the the idea that a whole planet will be inhabited by people who all have a similar characteristic is 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 you know is 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 low ambition in terms of i think doctor who and world building you know that the, the earth is a planet and different cultures and different people have all sorts of different characteristics so the idea that yeah everyone from that planet is one thing is 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 strangely limiting but not unique to this um david banks i love i miss mark hardy i find brian Orrell's cyber lieutenant uh not not quite as Mark Hardy's got a slightly more rasping uh, delivery, um, so I, I I I prefer my Hardy cyber lieutenant to my Brian Oral cyber lieutenant uh, because Oral's yeah diction is slightly like that, um, whereas Mark Hardy is slightly. Anyway, I'm still not going to stop doing Cyberman impressions. Um, David Banks, I love. I think he is such a key to the success of the Cyberman. That's a beautiful shot. I remember there being a brilliant picture in Doctor Who magazine of, of that Cyberman's head and this sort of valley in the background. And it's absolutely glorious. I love this location stuff. All these, uh, uh, all these, uh, all this smoky, smokiness. And I, I think, and, and it's very, I mean, I hadn't seen too tomb at the time but those valleys are very reminiscent of tomb aren't they uh and we come to an auspicious moment pat gorman here in his last 
I think, appearance in Doctor Who, one of the greatest servants to Doctor Who of all time, getting killed there in Doctor Who for the last time. Pat has been in it since his Dalek Invasion of Earth, his first one, very, very early. So recognisable in so many Pertwis in particular. Um, uh, and and that's the end of him. But what a, what a great servant to Doctor Who and to British television in general. Uh, much loved and used by directors because he was very professional, uh, and you know, again, he had kind of recognisable face, but that didn't. And, and I love that that you can sort of spot Pat Gorman uh, in all sorts of seventies and eighties uh, British television and sixties British television. Uh, a, a legend uh, who uh, uh, is, you know, I, I find his presence very comforting. Um, when I, when I when I was getting divorced and I moved out to live with my friend Peter, Pat, Pat Gorman lived only about three streets away. But I, uh, I've since discovered he wasn't he wasn't wild about being interviewed. So um, uh, although he you know he's happy to send back signed pictures to people and things like that, but he didn't uh, he di- he 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 I, I never got the chance to meet him and chat to him, uh, which is a shame. Uh, I, uh, it's nice to see, isn't it, Terry Malloy in this? I think he's I think he's great in this, uh, and I think it's. It's a very decent thing to do to go, you've done a good job as Davros. Um, you're hidden behind a mask. Uh, you're a good actor. Let's, you know, let's give you a, a, a chance to do do something in, in vision. Uh, and I remember really liking his character in this. I think it's because he wins me over with the way he says, you're bonkers in this scene. Um, uh, and so I remember being really upset when he, I, well, I spent the whole of the, the following week after the cliffhanger, hoping that he hadn't actually been killed, but also kind of hoping he had because I knew that the Cybermen killing somebody with one blow to the back of the head was one of the things that they did in the books, and that was a show of how strong they were, even though they did it with a karate chop in the books rather than a fist as it is here. But so I was I was sort of torn, is that I didn't want him to be stunned because I wanted the Cybermen to be those strong, indomitable creatures. But uh, also, um, uh, I, you know, I really liked his character. Uh, these two are funny, aren't they? Um, Michael Atwell is one of those really dirty actors. My, I, I, my, my friend Andy Linden, who's a, a Cockney character actor, quite a short, Toby Juggy sort of character actor. He likes his dirty actors, does Andy, and he likes all the sort of the LQ Joneses and the uh, uh, and, and the actors used by you know Peckinpah, the dirty cowboy actors. But there's also a certain breed of sort of sort of cockney character actors are also a bit dirty you know and uh you said you came from fulham i love that line that is beautiful i love uh brian glover so we'll come back to atwell and his dirty acting a bit later um i i know brian glover initially did that as cockney and i've seen glover do cockney in other things and it's not good and i love brian glover national treasure uh, I think it was right that he uh, uh, um, decided to default back to his his. The reason you employ Brian Glover actually is because of that wonderful voice. So, but I know that John Nathan Turner was particularly pleased with Michael Atwell, who'd been a Bill Sykes, hadn't he, in uh, in the BBC classic uh, Oliver Twist. Uh, he was a very well known actor, a very well known face. He's also a cartoonist for the News of the World. Um, but he was, a, a, you know, he cropped up in all sorts of things, uh, in movies and, and 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 on television, playing hard men. So it was again, it seemed like he was adding a touch of the grown-up 
uh, to, to Doc Two. But he, I mean, he doesn't hold back in this. And as I say, Nathan Turner, I know, is particularly pleased with him. But I, I occasionally think he could be quite less furious at some points. But, and he'd also been in the Ice Warriors at well as well, which had surprised me because he's Isper in the Ice Warriors. Because, but by this point, he was a really well-known actor, uh, Michael Atwell. Um, he's a funny one, this one, isn't he, John Ainley? The, uh, I have found that this, 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 I think Brian Orrell's diction is slightly odd. John Ainley's as the, the other Cyberman, uh, the controller's cyber chub and the, the one that walks behind them here at this point it does you can quite see where he's going it's almost like he's feeling his way through there's some yeah there's some strange cyber bits if you keep an eye on uh what's going on here but um you know the delight the thrill of seeing michael kilgariff's name on the credits that what it was like for me being a fan at the time anything I remember seeing seeing that it was the same guy that had played the cyber controller, and I knew he'd been in other Doctor Who's, Frontier in Space and Robot. You know, it's, it's an actor from the old days of Doctor Who is automatically classier than anything we get now because one is so self-loathing about the present that one invokes the past, which people do in many, many other areas, and I am so guilty of it. You're bonkers. I love the way he says you're bonkers. I love the way Colin rejoins, rejoinder is that's debatable. It's a very deadpan, lovely piece of timing. Um... I'd have liked to have seen more of Russell robbing a diamonds merchant. The sort of sardonic humour that that Saywood brings is is actually rather good in in places, even though you know there is that running. You know there is a, a, a it is possible to do a sort of jokey observation about how sometimes it's 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 a little bit too hard nosed to the point that it's comical. But uh, I don't mind the ambition of going. Let's kind of toughen up the show. You know Philip Hinchcliffe's show is quite tough and i love the hinchcliffe Holmes era i i i i think i think Holmes perhaps balances the sardonic humor with the grittiness and the toughness slightly slightly better um i think it, it's synth it's all synthesized together s slightly you know t yeah tom baker's in a, a long coat and colorful scarf and a hat but it it's not quite as much of a it doesn't it's not quite as stark a standout as colin baker's costume so it, it all melds together slightly better the violence in the hinchcliffe era is violent but it doesn't go too far in the way that th th this season occasionally just just goes a, a little bit too far i'm sure i've used the example when my english teacher said we could you know we could put swear words in our stories if we wanted to and so the first one I wrote was full of them. And he said, look, because I've allowed you to, you've done it too much and it's lost its impact. And I, th and I think this, I, and I think, you know, the desire to sort of toughen up Doctor and make it a bit more muscular as a allure away from the A-team and as a riposte to the idea that Doctor Who is sort of cheap and slightly tatty and slightly glitzy and light end to, to make it a bit more good. I, I, I think that's a reasonable decision to make as as script editor and storyteller especially as Earthshock and resurrection and caves which are the stories that do that sort of stuff well had had been the most successful ones so it's, i can see why they made that decision i think it, it oddly it's the character it's the it's the it's the way that the doctor is portrayed that is that again makes it it, it, it it's it's tastelessness seems somewhat misplaced when you've got a sort of, you know, when your lead character is 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 dressed in that way, and when you're, 
sometimes when your production design looks a bit more like you know the blankety blank than Blade Runner um, and that's a dissonance between you know the way that television is made here and what they're trying to rise up against or play against or contrast to uh, and the resources that they have available so um, but then you have this as I say you've got you've got uh, a sort of crew cutted Michael Atwell here being all furious and being ah, ah. is this does he, is this where he does the like you this planet really depresses me uh, and his, his, his jaw is always slightly jutting and his mouth's just always slightly ajar and sort of you know cussed and you know uh, but but then you've got Jonathan David who's who's one of those another of those actors that we've never really found i've seen he's in an episode of the professionals that i remember quite well called heroes where he's one of the he's he's one of the bad guys in it um but this this i say now obviously he's doing this slightly jokingly it's beautifully shot all this stuff in the quarry the head over there matthew robinson really knows how to place his cameras here in the in the quarry i love all of i love all of this stuff um and, and I love this cyber theme. So all of this stuff is is really great. It's meat and drink. And yeah, whacking a cyberman's head off—that's really containable violence because it's easily done. It's a it's a it's a great. Oh, they whack his hand off here. But there's quite a few. There's a lot of cyber cybermen do get pummeled quite a lot, which is uh, I get that. And that's great. That POV of the camera coming charging down. Uh, again, the the fact that the cybermen are slightly vulnerable. In a way that they didn't used to be, I, I, yeah, is, is, is a compromise. But you know, it was sort of acceptable with the the Raston robot because he's the most efficient killing machine ever, and and the fact that he could be chopping heads off and smashing Cybermen to bits was one thing. But and I suppose these guys are augmented, so they're slightly stronger than people would be. Um, but I do feel the Cybermen's uh, in, invincibility takes a bit of a knocking, but. Jonathan Davis casting I find really odd. I know he was promoted from Cyber Lieutenant, wasn't he? Because another actor was playing this Stratman his, and broke his arm. But it's always said, oh, the actor Trevor Raymond. I've tried to find an actor called Trevor Raymond and never had. So that's another area that needs a bit of looking into. Um, uh, but um, I'm not putting that thing on. So you've got Michael. My, you've got my. You got Michael uh, Atwell there being, you know, plausible West End, uh, uh, East End, uh, heavy. Well, there's a Freudian slip, and I'm talking about the actor Jim Freud. Uh, uh, but um, it's, uh, you know, East End, gen genuine East End filmic villain being all, I'm lending a bit of gritty credibility to Doc 2. And you got Jonathan David, who's a bit like a number of waiters I've worked with, going, I do not want to dress as a Cyberman. Thank you very much. And it is quite an odd, it is quite an odd contrast. Um, and he doesn't do anything wrong, but but he, it's a it's a piece of casting that slightly jars for me, if I'm perfectly honest. And and it's through no fault of his. He's not. He's uh, that. That's quite a nice uh, close up of, of the other Stephen there, Stephen Whale, um, because they are getting cybernized. That's very sad. Um, I love I love this all this dark stuff in the in the sewers. This is all beautifully atmospheric, uh, and and the nice echo that they've got as well going on there. Um, credit to Nicola Bryant as well. She's uh, she she does such such a good job as Perry. Um, I always I always 
feel knowing you know seeing those brilliant performances that she and peter davison give in in caves of andrazani I, I i feel a bit sad that they quite often fall into that tone of sort of bickering slash moaning for, for for perry when she's so much more interesting than that and i think and i think that's where sayward does go wrong where he mistakes sort of tedious bickering for drama or 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 even wit or humor i, th- I think i think there's a there's a there's a there's a misstep there often with the with the um interaction between the leads um which is no fault of of the actors um <laughs> I remember being told when I was younger that Griffiths was supposed to die at that point. Uh, I don't know if that was uh, somebody reading Griffiths was supposed to die a bit earlier and a friend of mine going, oh, it was probably then. Um, but I, lo- I love the strength of the Cybermen. I love the bit where they where, the, where David Banks puts his two fingers on uh, Morris Colburn's shoulder and he sort of winces. And then that bit there with, with uh, Brian Glover, who is, I think, the best thing about this story. I will be choosing him as one of those. But one of the castings they thought of for... for um, that's a great shot. It's, it puts his camera in some good places, Matthew Robinson. Um, was Donald Pleasance they, they sounded out to play Griffiths, who you can see being... He would be much more of a sort of snivelling, uh, f- fussy sort of characterisation. But Ple- Pleasance would have been brilliant. But I, I adore the fact that Brian Glover has been in Doctor Who. Um, uh, uh, and I and I think again he you, it grounds the fantastical and gives it a, a, a plausibility and a realism. But in contrast to what James Beckett and 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 Brian Atwill, uh, Michael Atwill bring, um, there's also something utterly charming uh, and quirky and delightful. And it's it's part of it's the Yorkshire accent and 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 it's amazing how few Northern accents there are in the whole of classic Doctor Who because so much television at that time everybody was you know RP unless you know there was a specific reason not to be which is a you know really fascinating aspect of the television landscape at that time that seems so bizarre now and yet informs so much of what we watch um uh so you know so Terry Terry Malloy here is feeling like you know a sort of third third companion he's he's had a bit of banter he's he's been terribly brave that's that's a really good stunt actually that exploding head uh even he gets the gun and he has a sort of comedy uh i've shot the doctor's spaceship uh thing there so terry malloy feels like he's he's on course to be you know our our chummy companion but actually is not much use to the story anymore and they don't want to pay him for episode two so uh uh, and then we get the so yeah there was me going oh is he is he is he dead or not um and and this is the sort of bohemian rhapsody no 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 i'm sure somebody must have done that as a video the the no 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 because the amount of times that they say no um but that to me was a thrilling thrilling opening episode i remember where i was when i watched it we had a we had a telly in my mum's my mum's bedroom uh, it was before my mum's so I, I went to watch it in I went to watch it in there I don't know why I watched it on that one so would that have been I think I would have still watched this in black and white do you know I think I still would have watched this in black and white that's how I don't think we got a colour telly till the two doctors isn't that a thing eh uh, that seems now like I'm talking about 
you know, reading it on papyrus uh, 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 and, and having all, all the imagery drawn from me on a quill. Um, but yes, uh, I'm, I must have watched this in black and white. And yet I don't think about that. I've had to remind myself of that because it's to me very much in in colour. And I watched Davison's last series at somebody else's house, so I, I definitely, you know, I did watch those in colour. But I don't think we 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 got a black and uh, we got a colour TV till the two doctors. I'm pretty certain. Uh, she's a bit frightening. I can't remember though. I can't, but I can remember which which room that I was in. Uh, and maybe we weren't watching it on the portable. Teddy. Anyway, it doesn't matter. That, that's only important to me. But uh, put it like this: I watched it a very long time ago, and I'm ancient, and times have changed now, and we can do things at the touch of a button, and aren't we lucky? Um, and in those days, oh, it was all orange squash and uh, analog conversation. Um, so listen, uh, I really enjoy that first episode. I mean, the, the, yeah, I suppose the issues. Uh, with it is that I, I yeah I th I, th I think Colin Baker's costume, which I actually I think as a piece of design is good. I just think it slightly doesn't quite meld with everything else around it, and that can be helpful as the Doctor, but it's almost like it's too big for the screen in the sense that you know sets in those days are rendered largely on one level with three flats and it's multi-camera, and it just it yeah it just. It's a little light end, isn't it? That that that's that's you, you know, whilst trying to be Blade Runner slash Alien slash slash, uh, which is what Saved wants to do with the the violence and the gore. But I, as I say, I, I have to be honest. As a kid, I wanted the violence. I wanted the toughness. I wanted the grimness. Um, that made me feel like my program that off, was often dismissed as kid stuff could actually compete with with grown up stuff and and therefore earn its rightful place uh, uh, you know uh, in in the nation's hearts and affections but this is of course where you know did, did, did the viewers drop off massively between episodes one and two uh and and Arden, i think that's you know there's there's maybe one too many invocation of of past glories um and i started talking about kilgariff didn't i the idea that you you chase to get the actor that played the part 20 years ago even though you can't see his face, even though 20 years ago or whenever it was, you know, uh, he, he didn't say the lines and now he's got a massive tum. Uh, uh, it, it, it's, it seems an, an odd way to bend over backwards in order to cast the same person. Um, uh, but anyway, but anyway, I'm, I'm still glad he's there because I like Michael Kilgariff and I, I like, I like an awareness and a deference to the past. I think, I think, it behoves us to pay tribute to what has gone before and realise that we, we aren't where we are without the, the skill and hard work and creativity of other people. And I think the entertainment industry is particularly bad at remembering that and actually can often scoff at the people that, that, that went before it. So at least for all his faults, John Nathan Turner did, did have a respect for, for what had, what had gone before in a way that, that doesn't, always, uh, doesn't always happen in this business, a business that forgets people very quickly uh, or dispenses with them. Sometimes it's more active than that. Anyway, listen, what are my favourites? I've got to choose two favourite things. I can never... I thought it was... Is it two? Well, it is. Well, that's what Robin said he's going to do. I can't remember my own rules. I suppose that makes sense because if, if it was two 25s, there'd be one thing for each. So... 
Well, my two things are... Oh, now, well, I'm going to have an argument with myself because I've got to choose Brian Glover because I think he's going to be chosen at some point and actually he gets less to do in episode two. You said you came from Fulham and he's got a brilliant line next week where he says, time travel in an organ. <laughs> I love that. Um, so I have to choose Glover because I think actually across the whole story, he's the best thing in it. So then my second thing, do I choose the black camouflage Cyberman, which I rather like? That could be my bonus thing later because I, I, I and I do really think it, it, it works and it's one of those in, in Doctor Who always you know the simplest ideas are sometimes the best or, or a slight twist on something that's just taken a little bit of thought outside the box that you go oh that makes that makes perfect sense and it's really effective and I love all that darkness in the sewers I, I was too busy moaning about the fact that the Cybermen are uh, amicable to bullets that actually that scene with the music and the advancing Cyberman and, and, and Griffith shooting and Lytton turning the gun on him and then the, 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 the door opening and the two Cybermen coming through and the light streaming through that. I think that's a brilliantly directed sequence and, uh, and, and really, you know, textbook, classic, wonderful Doctor Who stuff. It's got all the ingredients you want there, apart from the fact that I was too busy being distracted by the fact that Cybermen shouldn't be damaged by bullets. Um, that Cybermen can't be damaged by anything except gold and radiation and a weather machine and you know apart from that what else have the cyber romans done for us um but i think i think the thing that i the other thing that i like is that is what i call that gritty euston films stuff the fact that 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 all the stuff with Lytton and his mob and everything from you know t t terry malloy's finger in the ear uh, which i just love i think that's just a lovely little touch and i think in the book is this is the is the telephone handle greasy as well? I think I, I don't think I've made that up. Is that he, he speaks to the telephone and he has to wipe it, or it's, or it's a bit manky anyway? Which is a nice little realistic visceral touch that you know again is to Sayward's credit to you know balance out all of those well rehearsed arguments we have against his his his, his take on the show that I that I understand and I'm sympathetic to those those criticisms. Um, but not only that. And also, it's it's very interesting because Morris Colborne at the time looked brilliant in that suit. That looked really high end, but it does look a little bit eighties now, and you can sort of feel the acrylic of the shirt and 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 that slightly light grey. That the way that that suit is cut and fits is slightly. It looked looked amazing at the time, and now it looks just slightly dated in its cut and its shape and its colour. Um, but I I I love that mob of characters. I love the interaction that they have. And as I say, there's something about the hue and grain of the film that gives it a certain authenticity or reminiscence of, you know, stuff like Minder and The Professionals and those things that were shot on films that grown-ups watched, grown watched that seemed to have a, a sort of atmosphere and feel and sheen about them that was just slightly grittier, slightly more urban, slightly more eavesdropped upon almost in a way, although actually some of that filmic... That filming is actually, you know, very filmic and almost cin cin cinematic in a way, or certainly large, large television. Um, but that also ties in with that filming on Telos and the way that the camera is placed and the and the smoke and all the stuff in that in that uh, in that quarry pit that is made to seem like a sort of industrial, cold planet. 
that that again feels like a sort of authentic you can feel the coldness in the air you can you can hear the metal clang and again that's something you can see the breath in the air and that's something to do with again the the authenticity of the filming so it's yeah it's that feel it's that film it's that and, and michael atwell helps with that as, a, as an actor in those scenes as well but but and and even Pat Gorman because he's got the face that fits those sorts of things in in the same way that James Beckett does. So, uh, yeah, that sort of what I call that Eustony, gritty, grimy feel. Uh, so it's not just urban because it because it works in the quarry pit as well. But I think you know what I mean. I think you know what I mean. Uh, that and Brian Glover. There are two things about episode one of Attack of the Cybermen. However, Robin Bunce, son of Roger Bunce, a, 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 a high achieving individual in his own right and a very, very nice man, but also he has a connection because he is the son of the much missed and utterly lovely Roger Bunce, who is a cameraman on many Doctor Whos, not including Attack of the Cybermen. Um, but what has Robin chosen for episode one? Well, there's so much to like about that episode. Um, before I get onto my picks, um, just a bit of background information. This was the first Doctor Who that I ever committed to the medium of VHS. So we bought a video player, I don't know, a year or so before this to watch, um, to record Box of Delights. Um, and yeah, so this was the first time I recorded, I committed Doctor Who to VHS and I watched that tape over and over again. In fact, I recorded the whole of Con Baker's first season um, and got to know it really, really well. As I say, even to this day, I still love that season. Anyway, turning to this episode, um, what are the two things that I'm gonna choose of this smorgasbord of wonder um, that we've just experienced? Well, first of all, I'm gonna say that what I love about this episode is the recreation of 1985. Uh, the BBC, the script writers have done such a good job, Paul Moore, I should say, of course, um, has done such a good job um, creating a plausible 1985. I'm thinking about Lytton's suit. I'm thinking about um, the joke about um, council workers leaning on their shovels, which is kind of a pitch perfect Dame Shirley Porter 1985. I love the location work. I love the way that um, Lytton's car pulls up outside this incredible office block in Hammersmith. It's a great example of 80s modernism. Sadly, it was pulled down a few years ago. Um, I went and had a quick look at Hammersmith. I went and had a quick look at the area where this was shot in preparation for this video. And what I noticed is that the location scouts chose the most 80s view in that whole um, vicinity. There's kind of 70s brutalist um, office blocks in the background. There's a whole bunch of Victorian stuff just around the corner. But the location scouts obviously zeroed on in, sorry, zeroed in on this kind of high 80s modernist um, incredible building. Um, so yeah, so I think what they're doing in creating this incredible feel of the 1980s, this this wonderful um, kind of um, what's the word, distillation of 1985. I think what they're doing is they're doing that thing that H.G. Wells does, um, which H.G. Wells calls the domestication of the impossible. That is to say they are creating a plausible right now um, and then dropping something alien and something fantastic into it. And in so doing, by creating such a plausible real world, it makes the alien invasion or it makes this um, science fiction element all the more plausible. So as I say, that's my first pick. I love the way they've recreated 1985. My second pick from this episode would have to be Nicola Bryant and her portrayal of Perry. 
Um, Nicola Bryant, I think, is one of the real gems of this era of Doctor Who, and together with Ace, I think, you know, these are the two companions that really stood out to me from 80s. What do I like about Nicola Bryant's performance in this case? Well, first of all, I love the way that she consistently laughs at the Doctor's foibles. It's often said that um, Peter Davison is a real human Doctor. Um, I think Colin Baker's a really human Doctor as well, but he's human in a different way. He's human in the sense that he has these foibles and he is, has a slightly um, overinflated sense of his own importance. And Nicola Bryant's, the way she reacts off him, brings that out beautifully. Um, I also love um, the way that Nicola Bryant holds a gun. Okay, so she holds a gun a couple of times in this episode, and both times you can see a kind of moral struggle um, in her performance. Um, particularly when, they, um, when Colin Baker is popping up out of that hole in the ground wearing the police officer's hat. You can see the kind of moral confusion, the resolution tempered with the knowledge that she's about to, you know, use lethal force. Um, so, yeah, so I think Nicola Bryant is just fantastic. She makes all of the action plausible. She makes the Doctor more plausible um, because of her performance. So those are my picks, 1985 and Nicola Bryant. Um, those are my two picks from episode one. I'll let you enjoy episode two and I'll run you through my picks for episode two in, you know, what is it, 45, 50 minutes, whatever, something like that. Enjoy. Oh, oh, thanks, Robin. And as he alludes, um, when I approached everybody to do this, uh, these were, you know, planned as podcasts and videos. I will, I'm sure, one day put the videos together, but the podcasts will certainly be out uh, a lot earlier than that. So uh, with apologies to all of my guests who went to trouble to film themselves in excellent quality with fantastic backdrops and, you know, really pay attention to that. And, and for, for most consumers, it's uh, it's in podcast form. But uh, you live and learn. I went into these uh, podcasts utterly clueless as to what I was doing. Uh, I, I, I did get uh, an early spurt of, you know, lots of people uh, tuning into the, to the YouTube versions. But uh, these podcasts are, are much easier uh, to to send out and are you know much easier to consume as well so I have to concentrate my resources on those because I also have to earn a living and do the job that I do that actually pays me money <laughs> so uh, anyway that's apropos of nothing but it's a, an acknowledgement that Robin went to trouble there to to film himself rather wonderfully and you're currently just getting his uh, disembodied voice do i get a little smidgen of a point for his um what he calls the recreation of 1985 i think we were alluding to some of the same things there about the the feel and the grittiness and yes they, he described it much better than i because he's a uh, an historian and a, a scholar and a, a, and and an intellectual and all of those things whereas i'm a lovey with an iphone with a good memory for character actors names um uh, but you know, and 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 yes, that pulling up of the car outside the building is is a fantastic establishing shot of telling you everything that these guys are about and what sort of genre they're in and what sort. Of, and as he says, bringing that sort of genre that we 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 associate with, you know, modern British crime drama you know grounds the science fiction it's what i've alluded to often in this podcast about the the john pertwee thing of the the yeti on your loo in tooting beck the idea that you know if the if the if the background and the setting and all of the window dressing is is very real and plausible the juxtaposition between that and the fantastical is all the more stark and all the more interesting and and all the more a perversion of what we know which and and, and there's nothing more frightening than a version of what we know that's slightly skewed or has an oddness imposed upon it or has an interloper come into it to upset it that 
that I think or it tends to speak better to us than you know a, a load of people in in different hats from another planet and funny salutes you know getting invaded by a monster where where it's it, it's not that, that it's never quite as effective which is why Doctor Who keeps coming back to earth because it's the it's the perversion of the recognizable and that's Doctor Who at its best when it takes what we know and you know pulls the rug from under it or is a slightly different take on it or or perverts it uh, and so yes that that looks like a you know a sort of yeah a heist in in an episode of the professionals into which indestructible but not as indestructible as they should be uh, uh alien robot guys uh come in and uh, and kidnap the uh the bank robbers as it were um so do i it's up to you whether i get a point for that i didn't choose nicola bryant um again i because i take the regulars for granted i love perry i love uh nicola bryant i i i do think she could have been better served in her time in the series and i actually think her better she's better served at the beginning of her run and at the end of her run than she is in this season um but that's none of that is a reflection on her and i think robin's quite right to highlight the gun i'd always and i and i remember tom baker highlighting how how uh, louise jameson holds the spade in horror of fang rock when she's feeding the 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 furnace or whatever it is in that and he's saying you know she's she's a bold actress there because she's 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 doing it as as an alien who doesn't quite know what a spade is um whereas a, a, a lesser actress would would try to look a bit cooler about it as it were um and i think nicola bryant does the same thing there is that she, she and, and and as robin points out about the way that she holds the gun there's a temptation when you're an actor playing cops and robbers and soldiers and all that sort of thing to go, yeah, oh, I've got this, I, I like this because I'm an actor sort of showing off. Whereas Nicola Bryant's going, I'm Perry, the botany student, and I don't really like holding a gun, but I know I've kind of got to. So instead of the vanity of the actor going, I could look pretty cool with this, holding this gun, she's very true to the character. Uh, and, and it speaks about her awkwardness and it, and it helps with the uncertainty of the drama because there's a fragility to what she's doing because she's not totally in control of holding a gun because she's not kind of used to it. It's a, that's a really good thing for Robin to highlight and I, I absolutely endorse that choice. Um, but I didn't make it because I chose Brian Glover, which he might choose next time. And if he does, I get the point for that because I've already chosen him. Um, I mean, it's a loaded weapon, that, because it means that... Um, uh, one of the other things I choose, he obviously won't choose because he's chosen Brian Glover. So it doesn't really help me in the long term. But nonetheless, um, there's no way I wasn't going to choose Brian Glover. And I wasn't going to be caught out by by not choosing him for episode one and having Robin choose him and then me not be able to choose him. Because, as I say, I think I think he is de my definite highlight. It's bizarre. I haven't really even talked about Maurice Colborn, who I think is fantastic and was very popular in our house because he'd been very memorable in day of the fifth triffids but anyway listen up uh i can i've got another episode to talk through so why am i why am i gassing on here when i might have uh, uh when i might have little lulls or longers that i need to fill with whatever it is this stuff is that comes out of my mouth anyway i'm grateful to you for listening it's nice to be doing a colin baker there aren't that many to do and they haven't been hugely chosen and in fact i think this is the only one i've got somebody who sent me this because uh, a lot of people have chosen stories and haven't yet got round to sending me their their contributions so i've i've had to pretty much wait until i i i got this um 
to, to do my next Colin. So I've done Time Lash from Emma Reeves. I've done The Two Doctors from Matt Hayden. And now I am doing Attack of the Cybermen. And I seem to, my, my, in my mind's eye, part two of Attack is a very different beast from part one. And in fact, is, is it doesn't have much of what my favourite stuff about that first episode is, which is that, you know, industrial London, uh, urban, gritty thing that I chose that I've just talked about at length. Uh, and instead has, uh, oh, it's got the, it's got the crayons and um, the, that cyber tomb set that they wander around. So it's a different beast. Uh, let's see if it's a beast that I can tame but that's next time. So with gratitude to uh, Robin, who, uh, uh, when I asked him to do this, said, yes, yes, yes. And not, uh, as we know, all great episodes end, not by saying, no, 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 no. It's not Bohemian Rhapsody. It's that other song. No, 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 no. No limits. There's no limits to how I can think I've come to a great way to end the podcast and then say something else which I've just done now twice <sighs> well thank you ever so much for listening to Happy Times and Places which is presented by me Toby Haydock my special guest at this time around is Robin Bunce who can be found on Twitter at Renegades Robin both R's are capitals I'm grateful to him and to the patrons who make these podcasts possible and they include Joel Ahrens, Keith Adams, Mark Aldridge, Kit Allen, Sebastian April, Tilt Ariza, Radit Aritza, Simon Ash, Richard Alt, Stephen Bamford, Ollie Barnett, Andy Benison, Richard Bignall, Peter Blackett, Robin Bland, David Brody, Hugh Buchtman, Tim Burrows, Paul Carrington, Anthony Carroll, Phil Chapman, Ralph Chilton, Susan Christian, Steve Churchill, Kevin Clark, Mark Clues, Graham Cluley, C.M., Charles Coppin, Simon Coling, Paul Colnaghi, Ben Cook, Martin Cook, Matt Corner and Paul Cornell. The music is by Dave Gates, the artwork by Dylan Patterson. And if you would like to join the list of patrons who get credited at the end of some episodes, and the higher tiered patron you are, the more times you get a mention. But the lowest tier, uh, which is £3 a month, still gets you on the list and you will hear me mangling your moniker for as i say three pound month which gets you at least three releases per week usually podcasts but sometimes photos or interviews or bits and bobs but anyway three releases monday wednesday friday and that does not include the tuesday sneaking out of a picture of my dog who i love and i don't care and uh, yeah, that's all for £3 a month at the lowest tier. There are some things that will maybe lure you up to higher tiers, but nothing really um, that's, uh, that's indispensable because I don't like withholding things from people. So basically you get pretty much the package, certainly all the podcasts, uh, at the lowest tier of £3 a month, which you even get 10% discount of if you sign up for a year in one go. Again, all the tiers you drop 10% of if you sign up for a year in advance because that's commitment. And for that commitment, you get bonus material and you get advance releases of the podcast. You would have been listening to this six months ago if you were a patron and the Too Much Information and Indefinable Magic uh, podcasts are usually a month, uh, sometimes two months ahead for patrons and the Far Too Much Information podcast 
doesn't go out to everybody else only the patrons get that and that's their really sort of arcane information now obviously committing is tricky especially financially at this well this hideous juncture civilization finds itself at but uh, if you want to do the odd one-off payment if occasionally you feel flush or they turn the water on again or electricity suddenly becomes affordable you can go to ko-fi.com forward slash toby and uh, just drop whatever you like in whenever you like and there's no commitment there but also none of the bonuses but look i know that times are tough and the last thing you want in this day and age is to have some gimp begging you for cash but i'll tell you what costs you nothing going to podbean or itunes or spotify or wherever you get these podcasts leaving a five-star rating and some lines of review that really helps to draw attention to these podcasts Part of me, you see, thinks I should have done these Colin Baker stories and split them up with the uh, not very cliffhangery cliffhangers so that each one's 25 minutes. And then, you know, it means that this would have got me, you know, t- two slots worth of releases, which would have meant I wouldn't have, well, which would have just been more useful for my timetable, uh, which currently finds me uh, very close to transmission date. But, uh, but it wouldn't have been right because that's not how I experienced them. As a youth, I experienced them as, uh, if not God, then the BBC scheduling and timings people uh, and the head of department and producer and script editor uh, intended. Uh, so so actually, if I watched them split into 25-minute installments, that would be how I'd never experienced them at all. And I'm sure it's the same for you as it is for me, that um, actually how you know the memories that these unlock the, you know, the, the smells, the places, what was going on, just the general feeling of where we were when these episodes were first viewed, is is as much a part of the experience as as as, as remembering what that actor looked like or what that person said. Uh, anyway, um, oh, I've just remembered. I I'd, I was thinking of doing uh, all the closing credits uh, in the style of Brian Glover, but um, but I didn't in the end because I thought of that last night. Uh, when I was washing my hands see I told you things come back to you and like places and what you were doing and stuff uh, and I forgot when I'm essentially in a cupboard um, but we've got we've got the back doors open because it's very hot so um, um, yeah you might might be the odd bit of a, like the passing aeroplane or ice cream van bleeding through but um, but I've decided that will all add to the atmosphere uh, so anyway you were denied my... Bri- I can't do a Brian Glover impression, but I can do a, a Yorkshire accent. But he had a particular... He had a particular style, didn't he? Which was uh, irreplaceable, which is kind of the point of, uh, of of brilliant people like Brian Glover, is that they are one-offs. And aren't we lucky to have them in our homes and in our entertainments? I do like that. Anyway, um, the sun is shining where I am, and I think I've got a doggy who needs to bask in it fact that i get to do a bit of basking as well is immaterial but it's certainly warmer here than the ice tombs of telos where we will return next time i'm oh gosh i'm doing this like a proper ending rather than like a sort of rambled coda which is kind of the vibe i normally go for but there are no rules here in post-creditsville we do what we like <laughs>